Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. He just doesn't stand by passively when he's watching things happen. He steps up, he steps in, he got involved. He, he got himself involved in a situation that he could have just let go. But he, he saw that there was, there was danger coming and he, he did something about it. So... Uh, another great, to me, man lesson, that, that a man of God, you shouldn't stand by passively when stuff is happening. If there's something you can do, you should do it. Amen? If you can intervene, if you can save a life, if you can you know, protect someone from danger, you should definitely do it. It's safe to say that we all love it when we can stay passive and let others do the work. If our options are to stay out of it or put in the time to intervene, it's always enticing to do the former. In today's message, Pastor Bill wants you to know that if you want to see huge changes for the better in your life, you need to let God's power consume you. Accept Him into your heart and let Him intervene through you to change the world. Stop wasting your time by merely getting by and do purposeful, impactful things for Christ. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Esther chapter 2 as he continues his message, The Hand of God. There's a time to hold things back uh, to the right time. Mordecai had asked her not to do this. Let me say this about Esther and Mordecai's relationship. We'll see that throughout. She respected him like a father. And the things that he asked her to do, she did. The counsel that he gave her, she heeded. Um, She respected him and received the counsel given to him. Even in her adult age, as he spoke to her, she received it. And she listened. Um, and so there's a sweetness to this relationship that, um, you know, I, I think it's a blessing that, that God put a man of God in her life and that she would listen to the counsel that he gave her. And so again, verse 11, it says, verse 11 says, and every day Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. I put this down that Esther, I'm sorry, Mordecai is, has great concern for her. And is diligent to see about her daily. Uh, another, to me, man lesson. I, I'd ask all the men, but women too, that are, if you got oversight of someone, how concerned are you for those that God has put in your care? How much do you care? How much prayer goes in? How much thought goes in? How much time do you spend thinking about how they're doing? What's going on? What can you do for them? Are you concerned about the well-being of those that are under your care Mordecai was not just in her life. It wasn't like now she's out of my care. She's in the palace. Praise God. Uh, He wasn't out there, you know, running around being free. Every day it says he got down there and he was trying to find out how it was going with her in the palace. He was concerned about her. Like, just like a dad would be, you know, your daughter, your your daddy, your little daughter, your daughter could be 12 or 28. And to, to my daughters now, when I look at them, I, I show them little, I show them pictures of them when they were little bitty girls with pigtails. I tell them, no matter how old you get, this is what I see, right? When you drive up in the driveway, I see that little girl, little, little pigtail, daddy. That's what I see. Lollipops and balloons, you know? Um, it won't matter how old they get. That's how a daddy, you're going to see them like that. And there should be care and concern. Mordecai was care, had care and concern for those that God had put in his care. Uh, and I think that's a great example for us to, to take from. Now look at verses 12 through 14. It says that the, the, it says in verse 12, each young woman's turn came to go into King Ahasuerus after she had completed 12 months of preparations. Now, let me just stop right there. I mean, 
know, y'all agree that's a lot of preparation. Like, what the what is? I don't know what he needed. I was looking it up in the manners and cousin. Like, what do you? What is, what is twelve? What is twelve months for? There was one uh, valid reason for the length of time. One of the reasons there was so much time was that these women had came in and there was going to be certain that they weren't pregnant uh, when they got there. So he ain't touch them for twelve months. So if you was pregnant, it wasn't me. You know, you got to, you got to, you're going to be exiting on up out of here, you know? So, uh, that was the one valid thing. But other than that, I mean, it's a very extensive and expensive beautification process that before they get to be brought before him, they've had a year of pampering and all of that. So, so back to this. Um, so verse nine, King, uh, it says they would go into King Ahasuerus after she had completed 12 months preparation, according to the regulations for the women for thus were the days of their preparation appointed. Six months with oil and myrrh. So this is what I got on that. Um, because of the area that they were in and the heat and whatnot, um, it, it said that, you know, that it could cause a certain smell or stench or whatever for just the, just being in the heat so much. So this treatment was that they would smell good. Um, you got every day you got oil, so you soak it in the good stuff, you know, myrrh and, and all these things. So oil and myrrh for six months, you're not going to come before the king smelling stank. You're going to, you're going to be, you're going to have smooth skin and you're going to be smelling delightful. Uh, then another six months of perfumes and preparations for beautifying women. So, uh, perfumes and then whatever other beautification of those hair, eyes, uh, lips and all that good stuff that women love to do. Verse 13, it says, thus prepared each young woman, young woman, um, went to the king and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the women's quarters to the king's palace. In the evening she went and in the morning she returned to the second house of the women to the custody of Shazagaz, the king's eunuch who kept the concubines. So once the king had had relations with them, they're now considered a concubine. Now they go to that house. Um, and so they're kept there. And, and basically you get, if you get called upon, you get to come back. If you don't, that's where you're going to be. Um, so not, not, a not a, not a real, you know, I don't think it's what a lot of women are hoping for, you know? So, um, but they would go into, uh, his care, the care of the concubines. And then it says she would not go into the king again, unless the king delighted in her and called for her by name. So, um, Again, the beauty preparations for a year. Um, these women may get one evening with the king. If they were chosen from out of the 400 women to be the queen, then she that, that person would be his, his ongoing companion. Uh, I put in parentheses until she upset him because Vashti had been the queen. And so it's not like, you know, um, you would only be in that position as long as he delighted in you. So it could change pretty quickly. It had just changed for Vashti pretty quickly. And so, um, for the, for the 399 women, right. The other women that were chosen, um, they were just stuck as, you know, people that would be in the harem and it would continue as a wife or as a concubine to the king. They would rarely, if ever see him. And so from that point on, um, they were not free to marry another man. They were essentially living there with the king. And if, if he died, they would be a perpetual widow. So even in the king's death, it wasn't like they're like, okay, you're free. Go. Yay. You start all over again. No, no. You're the king's widow. And y'all stay put. You know, the, the harem, the, whoever takes over next may, may want to check it out or just, they just, I just think that's a pretty, you know, as, as the, the TV shows and the movies of this, they make it sound like 
Like, wow, one like the movie One Night with the King. And it's like, wow, you could get one night with the king. Like, but I mean, when you think about it, right, the, it's, it's, I don't know how special it is when you realize he had one night with her and he had a night with her. And, and then he had a night with Susan and she never came back. And then, and then he had a night with Jennifer and Jessica and Rebecca. And now I get to go. You know, I don't know how special that is, you know, but that's that's what was going on. So. It's, it's quite a bit less romantic than I think a lot of the movies have made it. So I, I just want to be fair and put that out there. I, I don't know that this was Esther's dream as a child. I don't know if she had dreamed about maybe being the one. But this was God's providence in her life as well. And I'll just say this, right, because I think this is really important. I, we'll agree by the time we get to the end of the book of Esther that God's plan for Esther being, I'm thinking, why would he have her be the wife of a pagan king but there's purpose in this there's something god is doing greater in in all of this and um i believe that marriages should have purpose um you know you should be able to look at your marriage and say man god god's doing something in in this relationship there's purpose on our marriage um we have some rules in place as new testament saints that had not yet been spoken back then right so let me say this, because maybe some young woman is saying, I know a guy that's not saved and he's really wealthy. He's pagan, but I'm going to be his Esther. Yeah. No, 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 no. You have some, you, you have some very clear instruction in the new Testament where we come from new Testament saints. We are where God says, do not be unequally yoked together with the non-believer. And so I don't know how to reconcile the fact that in the Old Testament, there were times where there were pagan marriages. There were God let, you know, God had Hosea marry that, go marry that harlot. What? Her? I don't, I don't, I don't figure, you know, go, go marry her. Go make her your wife. That's what God did to him. Um, that's, that's nobody wants that for a wife, but that's what God did to Hosea. This is a unique situation. Um, I just don't, I want to be clear that you don't look at this and say that I can do that too. Um, this definitely happened, but God's given us very clear instruction as New Testament saints. So we, we walk in obedience to the clear instruction. Um, we don't mimic the stories that we're reading. Amen. I just want to be clear because some people, some people read a story and they try to make that the new doctrine, you know, yeah, you can because Esther, no, 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 no. We have clear instruction where God says you cannot. So don't show up here with no pagan talking about, I'm going to be like Esther, Pastor Bill, you know, I will not do the wedding. I will, to, I will send you on down the road. So well, moving on now, look at verses 15 through 18. It says, now when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter to go into the king, she requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised. So something else we learn about Esther is that she was humble and there was a wisdom, right? She she could have took whatever she wanted, but she asked Haggai, right? Hey, what do you think I should take? And, she, and it says that she only did what he suggested. Um, this is a woman who's not, you know, she just, there seems to be a, a humility and a, a submissiveness to that. She only does what Haggai advised her. Um, then it says, uh, and Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. So initially she obtained favor with Haggai. Amen. Now it says she obtained favor with all who saw her. So she, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm believing her. she must have been extraordinarily 
something beautiful about her where everyone that saw her was just like, wow, favor, favor, or, 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 you know, this is just God's favor upon her life. God just causing everyone to see her to favor her. Cause this is what I think it has to be God involved because most times, right? If you're in a scenario where other women are competing for that place and you're exceptionally beautiful, they're not going to favor you. What are the other women going to do? Ladies say it. Y'all know what y'all know. Y'all know what they do. I know y'all don't do it here at Calvary Chapel Inglewood, but y'all know what the mother women do, right? They hate them, right? Can't stand them. She thinks she pretty. You no, know, you think she pretty, you know, because she is or whatever. So, you know, um, but for everyone that it says everyone who saw her, um, favor, have favor upon her. Um, that's, that's just the Lord. Verse 16, it says, so Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into the royal palace in the 10th month, which is in the month of Tibet in the seventh year of his reign. And so again, this is how we know that there's a, that, 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 that first verse of the chapter where it says after these things, it's a four year gap between chapter one and where we end up right here. So there's been quite a length of time where he hasn't had a wife and all these things have transpired. Then verse 17 says the king loved Esther more than all of all the other women. And she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And so if you look up that word loved here, it's like, what is it? You know, what kind of love was it? He loved her more than all the other women. And, and it means uh, a few ways it can be looked at to be fond of, um, to have affection for, and it can mean sexually or otherwise. But, um, in essence, we're thinking here that it's not sexual, that he, he, that he also favored her. And that it said that he loved her once, once he, once she came before him, um, that that was it. He said, I, I want to be with her. I want her to be the queen above everybody else. And so, um, she was selected to be the queen. Now here again, we're never told if she wanted this, right? We're never told that Esther, we don't know if Esther was like, yay, or if she was scared or if she was, we don't know, right? She's a young lady. She's a virgin. She's, we don't know. We don't, we don't really get any of her side of this. And so I'm careful not to romanticize this because I don't know the other side of it. I do know that uh, I'll just back up and say, but we see the providence of God. God has placed her in this position. He has allowed her to be in this set of circumstances. God's going to use it for his ultimate glory. Um, but we don't know anything about how she felt, um, you know, what was going on here, but she gets chosen. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the king sets the royal crown upon her head and he made her queen instead of Vashti. Um, verse 18 says, then the king made a great feast and he called it the feast of Esther for all his officials and servants, and he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of a king. And so there was great celebration that he now had a queen. It was, you know, Esther, and she was beautiful. I bet Vashti was beautiful because he wanted to bring her in and show off her beauty, but now he's got another beauty. And um, this part, we're, we're, we're in that part here. Now we have one last section about Mordecai in chapter two. Uh, then I'll wrap everything up for us. So I guess a few things, right? Um, in Esther's life up until this point, all the all these things that really just have happened in her life that seem to be just a heavy life already, right? She was a as a child, she was a, she was with the Jewish exiles. Um, her parents are both dead. 
She was raised by her cousin in a foreign land that was often hostile to Jewish people. Um, She was taken by compulsion into the king's harem. She found favor with everyone that she met. She was selected to be the queen of the realm. All this has happened by the providence of God in her life. And once again, I, I point that out to you that you might consider your life. And what are the things in your life that maybe you looked upon and said, why did that happen to me? Why did I grow up like that? You know, I used to ask those questions and it it really seemed like when I got saved, God made sense of everything. I used to look at my friends whose parents stayed married and why did my parents didn't stay married? My next door neighbor, my best friend, his parents stayed married and he had a mom and a dad and his life was just different because of that. Um, As a little kid, my heart longed for what he had. And that was a question in my heart, but it was something that when I got born again, God would, God would make sense of everything. God's like, not because of what you went through, you're going to stay married. You're going to make it work. You're going to, you, 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 you'll understand why it's important that you, you treat this thing as a big deal. Um, and it, and it, 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 it did have a, a, a negative thing with a positive impact. The Lord turned that in a different way. Um, there are other people that have had bad things happen, cruel things happen. Why did God allow that? Why, why did God let this thing happen to that person? And again, my encouragement to anybody with those kind of thoughts, you may watching, listening, the why God, why did God let that happen? Why did God allow this? Here's the thing, whatever has happened in your life, right? The Bible promises this, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So if you focus on loving God and walking in your call according to his purpose, God will make sure he makes that all those things, because all things covers all things. All things will work out for the good. Um, that is not true. All things do not work out for the good of those that complain about God and curse God and turn away from God and blame God for all their woes. It says all things are working together for the good of this group, those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. So if you want to see God flip the bad to good, just keep loving God and walking in your calling according to his purpose. God can't lie. God's word always come to pass. Just like he said, you can bank on it. And so um, that'd be my encouragement to anybody who's struggling with why God stuff or how come that happened in my life? How come I didn't get to enjoy that thing? You know, um, so many valid things. There are people that have had children die. Um, loved ones, things happen health issues, you name it, so forth and so on. And this fallen world in which we live, so many things have happened and and they've been allowed for whatever reason. Um, Continue to love God and walk in your calling according to his purpose. It would be my encouragement, anybody battling with those kind of thoughts. All right, let's look at this last section, chapter uh, verses 19 through 23. It says, "When when virgins were gathered together a second time, so there was a second gathering of virgins, Mordecai sat within the gate, um, so Mordecai was a leader uh, at this point in time. Somehow he had, if he's sitting in the gate, that, that position says that you have some kind of a authority here. Um, now Esther had not revealed her family and her people just as Mordecai had charged her. Notice this for Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. Um, there's just a submission and an obedience to Mordecai like a dad. Uh, and she said, just like when she was a little girl, she still listens to him and obeys him. So the only reason she hasn't revealed her culture is because he told her not to do it yet. Then it says in verse 21, in those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, the, the, get these names, Big Than and Teresh, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. 
So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king of Mordecai's name. And when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both were hanged on the gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Now, this story may not seem significant, but it'll be very significant later in the story. So Mordecai is hanging out of the gates. He overhears a plot from these two men to kill the king. And so, um, again, and Mordecai, just to me, he's a stand-up guy. Um, another thing, when I look at a, a, a godly man, he doesn't stand by passively, right? He doesn't say, well, you know, that's I'm, I'm a Jew. That's a Persian king, not my problem. He's like, I heard of a plot to kill the king. I'm going to do something about it. He did what he was able to do. He contacted Esther. He let Esther know. Esther made the issue known to the king. Let the king know that the, the insight came from Mordecai. And when they inquired about it, they found it was true. They thwarted the plot. Those two men got hung on a gallows. The king's life was saved because of Mordecai in that moment. Now, he doesn't receive any kind of reward now for it, but later on in the book, um, the Bible says that we reap what we sow. Amen. And later on in the book, he's going to reap what he has sown here. Um, it doesn't happen right away, but, but when it counts, when it's necessary, when it's needed again, in, in God's providential time, uh, the King is going to remember this moment and how Mordecai had spared his life. And it's going to be a, just just at the right time, God is going to remember this thing. And so another man lesson for me of Mordecai, he just doesn't stand by passively when he's watching things happen. He steps up and steps in. He got involved. He, he got himself involved in a situation that he could have just let go. But he, he saw that there was there was danger coming and he, he did something about it. So uh, another great to me man lesson that, that a man of God, you shouldn't stand by passively when stuff is happening. If there's something you could do, you should do it. Amen. If you could intervene, if you could save a life, if you could, you know, protect someone from danger, you should definitely do it if you could. So as we end this chapter, um, so much has happened that we see just God's providence and preserving Esther through exile. Uh, and bringing her into the care of Mordecai uh, and causing her to be beautiful um, and form and an appearance and giving her favor with the chief of the, with the, with the captain of the, the, the eunuchs, Haggai, uh, giving her favor with all that would see her, ultimately giving her favor with the king that she would be selected. This is what God has done, right? God has infiltrated the Persian kingdom with this Jewish woman at a time in history where the Jews in that area were being persecuted. They were going to be further persecuted and God is going to, God has got something for them. Here's, here's the amazing thing here, right? I told you guys when we did this, we looked at this in chapter one, these are the Jews that are here in Persia are the Jews that decided not to go home. These aren't even the, these aren't even the Jews that you're saying like that went back home and with Ezra and were rebuilding with Nehemiah. These aren't them. These are the Jews that said, we like it over here in pagan town. We dig it over here. You know, they got nice stuff. We, we prefer to stay over here than to go back into where we, so, so we're not worshiping Jehovah. There's nowhere for us to worship properly over here. We're not concerned about getting back to right worship. We like it right where we are at. That's that group of Jews. And God is doing all this to preserve them. This is what that tells me, right? That God loves his people and God is faithful to his people even when they are not faithful to him. Amen. Where I'm watching God be faithful to this group that are, they're not faithful to him, but he is remarkably faithful to them despite their 
seemingly, you know, man, they don't seem to have they they don't seem to have a heart for him. But it doesn't affect the fact that he has a super big heart for them. You've been listening to a transforming word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Pastor Bill is making his way through the book of Esther, written with a notably skillful writing style. The author of this book is unknown. However, the art of storytelling is obvious and would have had the readers of the day on the edge of their seats. That's not the only interesting fact we find here. Esther is the only book in the Bible to omit God from every single verse. From the text, it is clear that God is present and is setting up the scenes for each, if you will. But while absent from the writing, his presence is felt in every sequence of events as Esther and Mordecai navigate the many challenges they would face. We see them use courage and conviction of faith in God to ultimately change the rule of power and turn an entire city around and back to God. How are you using the power of your faith in God to influence those closest to you? If you're looking for a community where you'll be supported in love, then come see us at Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Inglewood, California. We'll worship and learn together. You can find us online at calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. There, you'll find everything you need to know and a lot of bonus materials for personal study. For those of you further away, you can be our virtual guest by connecting via Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, where we live stream our Sunday services. And with that, we've come to the end of our time together. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to come again to A Transforming Word. Transforming Word